Today on Government Matters, 2020 in review. The presidential transition begins earlier than anyone thought. Former OMB official Margaret Weikert on her record in the Trump administration. COVID-19 sweeps across the government, top leaders at the Pentagon and the General Services Administration on the response and the future. And data for any shooter, anytime. General James McConville on how it will work. 2020 in review on Government Matters starts right now. From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters with Francis Rose. Thanks for watching the weekend edition of Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news, trends, and topics that matter to the business of government. I'm your host, Francis Rose. One of the major stories of the year in the government business space is the transition from the Trump administration to the Biden administration. Historically, presidential transitions start long before Election Day. One of the first leaders of the Trump administration to transition out of government was Margaret Weikert. She served as deputy director for management at the Office of Management and Budget, and for a time, she was acting director of the Office of Personnel Management, too. One of her major portfolio items was overseeing the execution of the president's management agenda. In her ex exit interview on Government Matters in February, I asked her where she'd made big progress on the PMA and where there was still room to grow. So if you think about the gears that, that we have, IT, data, and people, I think we've, we've really gotten momentum on IT. Um, you know, I think the TMF did precisely what Congress intended it to do, which is provide catalytic energy to something that is ultimately going to result in billions of dollars of IT investment being spent more wisely, mm -hmm. not coming out of the fund itself, but because the people who have been involved in some of these initial activities actually have learned how to do things differently, more agilely. Um, so investments from the TMF uh, included um, EEOC investments to modernize uh, their uh, case management system. You know, case management is one of these things we talk about a lot in government and haven't gotten traction on. Uh, USDA has received um, uh, a, a couple of uh, awards and has done an amazing job. And I think if you look at their scorecard results, you'll see real progress there. Um, HUD has had some awards um, that you will see the real progress being made. Um, GSA, again, has, has done a lot there. On the data front, I think we've set out the foundation. We've stood up a lot of the... Um, operating models, the governance councils for CDOs um, and evidence officers. Uh, I think we've created a lot of dynamism around the area and we've done some pilot initiatives through the gear center construct to showcase the kind of projects that we think can can connect the private and public sectors around data. So I think we've made a huge amount of progress there. On the people front, there's a whole lot more we need to do and frankly, uh, that was one of the things that was missing in the dialogue about the resistance to change around the OPM-GSA merger. People missed the reason why we wanted to do it, was that our people mission is so important and the changes facing our existing workforce to meet the needs of the 21st century are so profound. There's a whole lot more work we need to do. So we've been working strategically on agility frameworks and we'll be piloting some things that even once I'm gone, I think will help us 
continue to think differently about problems like telework, mm -hmm. like um, how do we use uh, you know that opportunity to get more efficient space utilization and provide meaningful uh, ways of work for our, our workforce. A lot of innovations around people uh, on the hiring front, but we need to do more on performance management. We need to do more on agility. Just very quickly, why do you think people didn't get the message that you had about why the merger of OPM into GSA was an important thing? So I can't speak to you know all of the reasons sure. why in Washington uh, people take something that that. You know, we, we did our best to articulate what we meant. Um, I'm not sure a lot of people actually read the uh, materials that we produced or all the data that we, we shared um, publicly about the whys um, and attributed some kind of false narrative to that. Um, so I can't, I can't really say why that happens. What in I, hindsight though, is there maybe a different message you could have conveyed or conveyed I, in a different way that honestly, might have gotten Honestly, the number through? one thing I would have done differently was not use as a placeholder name the government services agency. The fact that it had the same initials mm. I think led people to conclude something. Um, you know, a, a number of states around the country have you know, the Department of Administration, the Central Management Agency, they have other monikers, so you know, I, w I was trying to be fiscally prudent and <laughs> save some naming costs, but I think we would have benefited from a different name. All right, we have about two minutes left. The person who takes your seat after you, whether on an acting basis or someone replacing you permanently, what would you tell that person is the most important thing that she or he should do as they start to take up the issues that you've been working on? So the, the thing I think that is most profound about what we've done here is we've married the understanding, the rich understanding of the problems that the career civil servants have. What hasn't worked, what is difficult, what's challenging with what is the art of the possible. And so I think the thing that is critical in this role, whoever fills this role, is to continue to ask questions that haven't been asked. Why can't we do that? How might we do that? What could we do if we change this and this? Those are th things that I think are the most important things. And th the honor and the privilege of this role is we've had the freedom in this administration to ask those questions, to not have kind of white elephants that are untouchable, mm -hmm. but really be able to ask questions about root causes mm -hmm. and then let the experts, the people who have the experience, weigh in on, you know, where are the challenges and how might we do that? And then bring those people into the solution. 30 seconds left. Do, is it your sense that those people want to be involved with the solutions, that they're open to the kinds of changes that you and your colleagues have proposed? Absolutely. And, th and that's the thing I would say is the highlight of my experience. There are a lot of people who are very cynical or maybe paternalistic about our workforce our workforce is capable of greatness and just because change hasn't happened a lot doesn't mean people can't handle it. My OPM employees, I absolutely love. They asked me tough questions. They, when they were fearful, they let me know it and they let me respond and learn from those fears and make our solutions better. 
that's the thing that absolutely defies cynicism. Like, we can't think we know better. Let's bring the people into the process. That, you know, that, that's been the great joy of this job for all the challenges. Up next, the pandemic hits the Pentagon and the rest of the federal government. Straight ahead on Government Matters, the virus's impact on how and where the work gets done. Welcome back to Pandemic's impact on how and where federal employees do their work has been another major story of 2020. Agencies are still developing strategies for what work looks like when the pandemic has passed. The Defense Department's plan has included phases based on a number of factors, including some beyond health statistics. Lisa Hirschman's chief management officer at the Department of Defense, Emily Murphy, is administrator of the, Feder of the General Services Administration. In October, Hirschman told me how the department decides when and how to bring people back to the building. Let me be clear, we never shut down. We, our mission continued. It was just our locations changed. And we're currently at about 60%. At one point, we got as low as about 17% in the building, and that was in the March-April timeframe, which, believe it or not, that meant about 5,300 people at the Pentagon, which felt like a ghost town. So we're at 60% in the Pentagon and about 30% in our lease spaces currently. Biggest mitigating factor right now is childcare and transportation. And we're watching closely Maryland, Virginia, uh, Washington, D.C., the National Capital Region to watch their ebbs and flows of cases. And uh, that's, a, that's a contributing factor as well. What can the Pentagon do, if anything, about mitigating both of those challenges? Or are you pretty much at, at the, uh, having to deal with whatever the local infrastructures decide? The local infrastructure is a big factor. However, we are also finding that it doesn't have to be an all or nothing proposition. It doesn't have to be either full-time in the building or full-time work from home. So we are encouraging people to adopt a hybrid approach so that they may spend some time or maybe a few days in the building and a few days out of the building. We're continuously looking at social distancing, we're relooking at all of our workspace configurations. Our conference rooms are all have socially distanced, uh, have taken that into consideration. Lots of cleaning. We do screening at, at the entry, and our contact tracing has been very helpful with trying to uh, help mitigate uh, when there is an issue and, and help people understand and identify who needs to self-quarantine. Emily, last time you were on the program, we talked about the cleaning and some of the kind of logistics and tactical stuff uh, that GSA as the landlord and property manager for the government is undertaking. I'm interested more, though, in kind of the philosophical or existential view of real estate and workspaces in the federal government moving forward. What's your thought when you hear somebody like Lisa talking about a hybrid work environment and pretty much every civilian agency saying the same thing? What does that mean maybe five years from now about what an organization like PBS is doing and thinking and working toward with landlords and with the space the government owns? So, Francis, we'd, we'd actually started a GSA initiative called Workplace 2030. Um, we're sort of rebranding it as Workplace 2021 at this point uh, because we don't have 10 years to get there. We might have a goal for 10 years from now. But right now, what we're trying to do is work with our tenant agencies understand that there is no one size fits all. But as they look at their space, how much hybrid work do they wanna do? What kind of work do they want to do in facilities? Do they need skiffs? 
Do they need laboratories? Do they need auditoriums? Or do they just need offices? If they're going to be working from home, what kind of equipment do we want to send home with them so that they can be you know, safely teleworking? And I don't mean that just for a physical distance, but I mean from an IT cybersecurity safety standpoint. Uh, how do we make sure that the, the in a hybrid work environment also that the people in the office aren't the ones who are getting the prioritization in a conversation, that those who are virtually participating are just as vital and are getting the same opportunities. So we're doing a lot of work to try and come up with possible solutions for each of our customer agencies. A general services administration, I think, Emily, in the the late 2000 zeros, whatever aughts, I guess, or whatever we're calling them in the early 2010s, was I think now ahead of the curve when they had these telework centers that were located. I think there were six or eight of them around the Beltway uh, that people could go and work to before bandwidth was readily available in people's home locations. That we're now seeing private sector companies that are concentrated in one geographical location considering the same kind of thing. Is that a possibility for this uh, works, Workplace 2030 or 2021, where folks maybe from different agencies will work in one location and say in Springfield or in Gaithersburg or in Landover or something like that, rather than having everybody coming back to DC at some point? Absolutely, and it's actually in 2019, the Public Building Service went out with a request for proposals for just that kind of space solution so that we could have multiple federal agencies coming in and working in a, in a shared space. Now, it again poses IT challenges, poses other security challenges that we have to address. But as we're looking at our own footprint, we're wondering, you know, for example, could part of GSA's headquarters building be one of those you know, touchdown spaces, those landing spaces for people when they want or need to come into a federal space? Touchdown. there's a lot of touchdown is a great name for that as given that we're going into week five of the nfl season i believe it is um lisa what does this look like in an environment like the pentagon where there is so much information that's shared that can't necessarily be shared outside the building at least the way the technical technological infrastructure looks today what emily said is exactly right you know this uh, pandemic gave us a chance to really stress test our systems whether it was business systems or our equipment and we found that from an it perspective and equipment on the cl for classified work we were not prepared for the high number of people that were now teleworking and so i give great kudos to our cio and the team to ramp up very quickly to be able to do that. But again, that's where the hybrid approach, if you need to be in and, and be in a skiff, you can come in for part of the time and then maybe telework from uh, a different location for the other part of the time. Coming next, the most ambitious data project in the history of the military. Straight ahead on Government Matters, Joint All Domain Command and Control gets a new partner. You're watching ABC7. Welcome back. The power of data drove several key storylines across government in 2020. One of them was the evolution of a Defense Department initiative to get data to any shooter 
anytime. That program originated in the Air Force as the Advanced Battle Management System. In October, Army Chief of Staff General James McConville signed a Memorandum of Understanding with Air Force Chief of Staff General C.Q. Brown to formally collaborate on the joint project, Joint All-Domain Command and Control. I asked General McConville why the collaboration makes sense for the branches and the warfighter. This is all about uh, the future of how the Joint Force is going to fight. And um, General Brown and myself, uh, we had staff talks between the Air Force and the United States Army, and we signed an agreement very similar to what uh, was signed in 1984 by General Wickham and General Gabriel that, that set the stage for early in battle. And so the vision is that all sensors uh, will be tied uh, together to the right shooter and, and using the proper um, battle command system will have speed and range that we've never seen before. And the, the one thing that we've added is a C to JADC2 uh, for combined because we know that in the future our allies and partners will be critical in any type of conflict that we're involved in. I note that perhaps we should change the name then to JADC3, sir. Um, you're working already, the Army is, on Project Convergence. Tell me about that and tell me how that fits into this broader construct. Well, first of all, Project Convergence is about bringing things together. And it's a campaign of learning. We just finished uh, Project Convergence uh, 20. We'll do it next year. Uh, but we're able to demonstrate out in Yuma the fact that we could bring together uh, a, a bunch of sensors and then pass uh, data between sensors uh, to get um, firing solutions that were in seconds, vice minutes that we're seeing in the past. We had F-35s out there. We were using space. Uh, we had different uh, type of shooters and different types of sensors. And, and the value of this exercise was to bring them all together and to be able to quickly pass data between the systems. I want to shift gears, uh, sir, and talk about the readiness of your force. You said recently that in Stars and Stripes, the force is very, very ready. It's time to focus on people, and you've been talking about the mental health of your soldiers as a result of COVID. What's the intersection of those two concepts, General? Well, the, the intersection is, is, first of all, the Army's people. Uh, it's our greatest strength. It's our most important weapon system. And over the last 19 years, our soldiers have been deployed to conflict many, many times and doing multiple rotations around the world. So we're taking some time right now to uh, focus on our people. The force, as you said, is, is very, very ready. We spent the last couple of years building that readiness back. Um, but we've taken a look at the op tempo on our troops. And if we think it's time uh, to give our sergeants and our junior leaders more time to focus on their soldiers so they can take care of them and and make sure that they can build cohesive units where everyone treats everyone with bigger respect. What's the connection that you're seeing or trying to enhance with individual readiness, the physical and mental health of each soldier, and the broader force modernization efforts you're undertaking? Yeah, we, we believe that, well, the secret sauce of the Army is cohesive teams. But that also works in some of the other issues that we're facing. Uh, we want to connect our soldiers to the leaders. We want to connect our soldiers to buddies. We want to connect their families. And what we find is if soldiers are connected and we have leaders caring about them, when they have problems, we'll be able to find that out. If they're having either physical problems or behavioral health problems, we can get them the proper care so we get them taken care of early on with the issue. 
How are you going about doing that? What what's the what's the borderline between a connected network of soldiers and asking people basically to keep an eye on the other guy or woman? Yeah, I think it's about time. Um, you know, we, we've kept the soldiers incredibly busy, and I've gone out to Secretary and Sergeant Major, and we've talked to uh, various units. Our junior uh, level leaders say, hey, we just don't have the time uh, with our soldiers that we need. And what we want to do is give our junior leaders the opportunity to build these highly trained, disciplined, and fit units that are cohesive uh, in nature. And, and when they know their soldiers, and they know their families, they'll know when they're having challenges. You uh, quarantined yourself recently, sir. What did you learn from that experience uh, about what uh, these these issues with the, the health and readiness of the force? Well, just for the record, um, I, I, I was in a situation where I was not actually exposed, but out of abundance of caution, I did go into quarantine. Uh, just to, you know, we wanted to make sure there were no issues with that. I was tested multiple times and uh, did not come up uh, positive at all. But, but here's, here's what we found out is there's some things that we can do virtually. I, I have the capability uh, from where I sit to do a lot of virtual type operations. But at the end of the day, many of our soldiers uh, cannot, as I like to say, telecommute uh, to combat. They have to train. We have to do things in, in person. But there's things that we can do in a hybrid model. Some work very well virtually. We're doing a virtual interview right here. But at the same time, we want to be connected to our people. We want to be in person. And some of those things we just can't do virtually. Don't forget, if you miss an episode of Government Matters, you can find it on our website, govmatters.tv, and you get a preview of every one of our shows by signing up for our daily program guide. You just text GovMatters to the number 58671. I'm back in two minutes. That's the latest from Washington. Join me weeknights at 8 and 11 on WJLA 24-7 News and next Sunday morning at 1030 on ABC7 to stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business and government. Thanks for watching. I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening. Our daily program is produced by Sharice Hanner and Ashley Gallagher. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Beatrix Haddon. Government Matters was created by George Jackson. Visit govmatters.tv for articles, videos, and more, including our first feature-length documentary, The Dawn of Generation AI. Government Matters is recorded at WJLA-TV in Washington, D.C. Copyright Sinclair Broadcast Group.